Chapter 19, Part 1 of The Countess of Rudolstadt. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Countess of Rudolstadt by George Sand, translated by Francis G. Shaw. Chapter 19, Part 1. Anyone accustomed to read the stories of prisoners will not consider it miraculous that so simple a hiding place should always escape the eager search of keepers interested in discovering it. Consuelo's little secret was not discovered, and when she looked at her treasures on returning from her walk, she found them untouched. Her first care was to place her mattress before the window as soon as night came, to light her little taper and begin to write. We will let her speak for herself, for we are possessors of that manuscript which remained a long time in the hands of the canon. We translate from the Italian. Journal of Consuelo, called Porporina, prisoner at Spandau, April 1750. Second day. I have never written anything but music, and though I can speak several languages with facility, I know not if I can express myself correctly in any one. It has never seemed to me that I should be obliged to depict what might interest my heart and life in any other tongue than that of the divine art I profess. Words, sentences, all appear to me so cold compared with what I can express in song. I could count the letters, or rather the billets, which I have written, hurriedly and without knowing how, in the three or four most decisive circumstances of my life. It is therefore the first time since I was born that I feel the necessity of retracing in words what I experience and what happens to me. It is even a great pleasure to me to attempt it. Illustrious and venerated Porpora, amiable and dear Hayden, excellent and respectable Canon, you, my only friends, and perhaps you also, noble and unfortunate Baron de Trank, it is of you that I think in writing. It is to you that I relate my reverses and my trials. It seems to me that I talk with you, and that in my sad solitude I escape from the nothingness of death by initiating you into the secret of my life. Perhaps I shall die here of ennui and misery, though hitherto my health and my courage are not sensibly affected. But I am ignorant of the evils which the future has in reserve for me, and if I succumb, at least a trace of me and a picture of my agony will remain in your hands. It will be the inheritance of some prisoner who will succeed me in this cell and will discover this hiding place in the wall in which I myself found the pencil and paper with which I write to you. Oh, how I now thank my mother for having me taught to write, she who did not know how. Yes, it is a great solace to write in prison, my sad song could not pierce the thickness of these walls and could not reach to you. My writing will come to you some day, and who knows if I shall not find a means of sending it to you very shortly. I have always depended upon providence. Third day. I shall write briefly and without stopping for long reflections. This small supply of paper, fine as silk, will not be everlasting, and my captivity will perhaps be so. I will say a few words to you every evening before going to sleep. I wish also to save my taper. I cannot write during the day for fear of being surprised. I shall not tell you why I was sent here. I do not know, and in endeavoring to divine it with you, 
I might perhaps compromise persons who nevertheless have confided nothing to me. Neither shall I complain of the authors of my misfortune. It seems to me that if I should give way to reproaches and resentment, I should lose the strength which sustains me. I wish to think only of those whom I love and of him whom I have loved. I sing every evening for two hours, and it seems to me that I make some progress. What good will that do me? The vaults of my dungeon reply to me. They do not hear me, but God hears me, and when I have composed a hymn which I sing to him in the fervor of my soul, I experience a celestial calmness and fall asleep almost happy. It seems to me that I am answered from heaven, and that a mysterious voice sings to me in my sleep another hymn more beautiful than mine, which I endeavor to recollect the next day and to sing in my turn. Now that I have pencils and a small remnant of ruled paper, I will write my compositions. Some day, perhaps, you will try them, my dear friends, and I shall not be entirely dead. Fourth, this morning the red breast entered my chamber and remained more than a quarter of an hour. It is a fortnight since I invited him to do me this honor, and he has at last decided upon it today. He lives in an old ivy which climbs even to my window, and which my keepers spare because it gives a little verdure to their door situated some feet below. The pretty little bird looked at me for a long while with a curious and distrustful air. Attracted by the crumbs of bread which I roll for him into the form of little worms, and which I turn in my fingers in order to tempt him by the appearance of a living prey, he came lightly as if borne on the wings of the wind, as far as my bars, but as soon as he perceived the deception, he went off with an air of reproach, and made a little rattling sound which seemed like a scolding. And then those villainous iron bars, so close and so black through which we had to make acquaintance, so much resembled the case that he had a horror of them. Still today, when I was no longer thinking of him, he determined to pass them and came, without thinking of me, as I also believe, to light upon the back of a chair in my chamber. I did not move for fear of frightening him, and he began to look about him as if astonished. He had the appearance of a traveler who has discovered a new country and who makes his observations in order to describe its wonders to his friends. It was I who astonished him the most, and so long as I did not move, he seemed to consider me very comical. With his great round eyes and his beak in the air, like a little turned-up nose, he had a thoughtless and impertinent physiognomy, which is the most sprightly in the world. At last I coughed a little to open the conversation, and he fled quite affrighted. But in his precipitation he could not find the window. He rose to the ceiling and then turned round and round for a minute like a person who has lost his wits. Finally he became calm on seeing that I did not think of pursuing him, and fatigued by his fear more than by his flight, he alighted on the stove. He seemed very agreeably surprised by its warmth, for he is a bird extremely sensitive to cold, and after having again made some turns at random, he returned several times to warm his little feet upon it with a secret delight. He even had the courage to pick my little worms of bread which were upon the table, and after having shaken them with an air of contempt and scattered them around him, he at last, pressed by hunger no doubt, swallowed one which he did not find very bad. 
At this moment, Monsieur Schwartz, my jailer, entered, and the dear little visitor found the window to go out. But I hope that he will return, for he did not go far off during the day, nor cease looking at me as if to promise it to me, and to tell me that he had no longer so poor an opinion of me and my bread. That is quite enough about a red breast. I did not think I was such a child. Does life in prison lead to idiocy, or is there indeed a mystery of sympathy and affection between all that breathes under the sky? I had my harpsichord here several days. I could work, study, compose, sing. Nothing of all that has affected me hitherto so much as the visit of this little bird, of this being. Yes, it is a being, and it was on that account my heart beat on seeing him near me. Yet my jailer is a being also, and a being of my own species. His wife, his son, whom I see several times in the day, the sentinel who walks the rampart day and night, and who does not lose me from his sight, are beings better organized, natural friends, brothers before God. Yet the sight of them is much more painful to me than agreeable. This jailer has upon me the effect of a grating, his wife that of a chain, his son that of a stone cemented in the wall. In the soldier who guards me, I see only a musket leveled upon me. It seems to me that these beings have nothing human, nothing living, that they are machines, instruments of torture and of death. Were it not for the fear of being impious, I should hate them. O oh, my red breast, thee I love, there is nothing to be said, I feel it. Explain who can this kind of love. Fifth, another event, here is the billet I received this morning, in our hardly legible writing, upon a piece of very dirty paper. My sister, since the Spirit visits thee, thou art a saint. I was very sure of it. I am thy friend and thy servant. Dispose of me and command thy brother as thou wilt. Who is this friend, this impromptu brother? Impossible to guess. I found that upon my window this morning on opening it to say good morning to the red breast. Could it be he who brought it? I am tempted to believe it is he who has written to me. At any rate, he knows me, the dear little thing, and begins to love me. He almost never approaches the Schwartz's kitchen the opening of which emits an odor of hot grease that ascends even to me and is not the least disagreeable thing about my habitation. But I no longer desire to change it since my little bird adopts it. He has too much good taste to be familiar with that turnkey, eating house keeper, his wicked wife, and his ugly offspring. Footnote. Consuelo had given some details respecting the Schwartz family in a preceding paragraph. We have suppressed in her manuscript all that would be repetition for the reader. It is decidedly to me that he grants his confidence and his friendship. He re-entered my chamber today. He breakfasted with appetite, and when I walked at noon on the esplanade, he descended from his ivy and came to fly about me. He uttered his little rattle as if to encourage me and to attract my attention. The ugly Gottlieb was upon his doorstep and looked at me giggling with his wandering eyes. That boy is always accompanied by a frightful yellow cat which looks at my red breast with an eye still more horrible than his master's. That makes me shudder. I hate that cat almost as much as I do Madame Schwartz, the searcher. Sixth, still another billet this morning. This becomes strange. 
the same crooked, pointed, scrawling, unneat writing, the same sugar paper. My Lindor is not an Hidalgo, but he is tender and enthusiastic. Dear sister, elect soul marked by the finger of God, thou mistrusteth me. Thou dost not wish to speak to me. Hast thou no commands for me? Can I not serve thee in anything? My life belongs to thee. Command then thy brother. I look at the sentinel. He is a great lot of a soldier who darns his stockings as he walks to and fro with his musket on his shoulder. He looks at me also and seems more inclined to send me a bullet than a billet do. On whatever side I turn my eyes, I see only immense gray walls, bristling with nettles, bordered by a ditch, which is itself bordered by another fortified work of which I know neither the name nor the purpose, but which shuts out from me the view of the lake, and upon the top of that advanced fortification, another sentinel, whose cap and the muzzle of whose gun I can perceive, and whose savage cry I hear to every bark that grazes the citadel, keep off. If I could only see those barks and a little running water and a corner of the landscape. I hear only the plashing of an oar, sometimes the song of a fisherman, and from afar, when the wind blows from that side, the rippling of the two rivers which united a certain distance from the prison. But whence come to me those mysterious billets and this beautiful devotedness, which I know not how to make use of? Perhaps my redbreast knows, but the cunning little fellow will not tell me. Seventh, on looking with all my eyes as I walked upon my rampart, I perceived a little narrow opening in the side of the tower I inhabit, ten feet above my window and almost entirely hidden by the topmost branches of the ivy, which reach even there. Such a little window cannot light the abode of a living being, thought I, shuddering. Still I wished to know what to depend upon, and I endeavored to attract Gottlieb to the rampart by flattering his monomania, or rather his unhappy passion, which is to make shoes. I asked him if he could not manufacture a pair of slippers for me, and for the first time he approached me without being compelled and answered me without embarrassment. But his manner of speaking is as strange as his face, and I begin to believe that he is not an idiot, but crazy. Shoes for thee, cried he, for he these and thou's everybody. No, I dare not. It is written, I am unworthy to loose the latchet of his shoes. I saw his mother three steps from the door, ready to come and join in the conversation. Having therefore no time to stop for the purpose of understanding the motives of his humility or of his veneration, I hastened to ask him if the story above was inhabited, at the same time hardly hoping to obtain a sensible answer. It is not inhabited, replied Gottlieb, very rationally. It could not be. There is only a ladder there which leads to the platform. And is the platform isolated? Has it no communication? Why dost thou ask me, since thou knowest? I do not know and do not care to know. I wish to make you talk, Gottlieb and to see if you have as much wit as they say you have. I have a great deal, a great deal of wit, replied poor Gottlieb in a grave and sad tone, which contrasted with the drollness of his words. In that case you can explain to me, returned I, for the moments were precious, how this tower is built. Ask the redbreast, replied he with a strange smile. 
He knows, he who flies and goes everywhere. I know nothing because I go nowhere. What? Not even to the top of the tower in which you live? Do you not know what there is behind that wall? Perhaps I have passed there, but I have paid no attention to it. I hardly ever look at anything or anybody. Still, you look at the red breast, you see him, you know him. Oh, him, that is different. We know angels very well, but that is no reason why we should look at walls. That is a very profound saying, Gottlieb. Could you explain it to me? Ask the red breast. I tell you, he knows everything, he. He can go everywhere, but he never visits except those who are like him. That is why he enters your chamber. Many thanks, Gottlieb. You take me for a bird. The redbreast is not a bird. What is he, then? He is an angel, as you know. In that case, I am one also. You have said it. You are gallant, Gottlieb. Gallant, said Gottlieb, looking at me with a profoundly astonished air. What is gallant? Are you not acquainted with that word? No. How do you know that the redbreast enters my chamber? I have seen him, and besides, he has told me. Then he speaks to you. Sometimes, said Gottlieb, sighing, very rarely. But yesterday he told me, No, I will not enter your kitchen. Angels have no intercourse with evil spirits. Are you an evil spirit, Gottlieb? Oh, no, not I, but... Here Gottlieb placed a finger upon his thick lips with an air of mystery. But who? He did not answer, but pointed to his cat by stealth, and as if he feared being perceived by him. Then that is why you call him by such an ugly name. Beelzebub, I believe. Shoot, returned Gottlieb. That is his name, and he knows it well. He has borne it since the existence of the world, but he will not always bear it. Doubtless, when he is dead, he will not die, not he. He cannot die, and is much troubled at it because he does not know that a day will come when he will be forgiven. Here we were interrupted by the approach of Madame Schwartz, who was astonished at seeing Gottlieb at last conversing freely with me. She was quite delighted at it and asked me if I was satisfied with him. Very well satisfied, I assure you. Gottlieb is very interesting, and now I shall take pleasure in making him talk. Ah, mademoiselle, you will do us a great favor for the poor child has no one with whom to converse, and with us it is as if on purpose he does not wish to open his mouth. What an original you are, Gottlieb, and how obstinate. Here you are talking very well with Mademoiselle, whom you do not know, while with your parents. Gottlieb immediately turned upon his heels and disappeared in the kitchen, without appearing even to have heard his mother's voice. That is the way he always does, cried Madame Schwartz. When his father or I speak to him, you would say, twenty-nine times in thirty, that he has become deaf. But in fine, what was he saying to you, mademoiselle? What can he have been talking about with you all this time? I confess to you that I have not understood him, replied I. It is necessary to know to what his ideas refer. Allow me to converse with him from time to time without interference, and when I am informed I will explain to you what passes in his brain. But in fine, mademoiselle, his mind is not deranged? I do not think it is, replied I, 
and there I told a great falsehood, for which may God pardon me. My first impulse was to spare the illusion of that poor woman, who is a wicked sorceress in truth, but who is a mother, and who has the happiness not to see the craziness of her son. This is all very strange. It must be that Gottlieb, who has shown me his peculiarities so frankly, has a silent madness with his parents. On thinking of it, I have imagined that I could perhaps gather from the simplicity of this unfortunate some information respecting the other inhabitants of my prison, and that I might discover from his rambling answers the author of my anonymous billets. I wish, therefore, to make a friend of him, especially as his sympathies appear subject to those of the Redbreast, and as, decidedly, the Redbreast honors me with his. There is poetry in the diseased mind of this poor child. The little bird, an angel, the cat, an evil spirit, that will be forgiven. What does all this mean? There is in these German heads, even in the most disordered, a luxury of imagination which I admire. At any rate, Madame Schwartz is much gratified by my condescension, and I am in high favor with her for the moment. Gottlieb's idle talk will be a recreation for me. Poor creature, since I have become acquainted with him today, I no longer feel any aversion to him. A crazy person cannot be wicked in this country, where men of wit and high reason are so far from being good. End of chapter 19, part 1. Read by Bryce Cries, Youngstown.